This is episode 50 of the Untangled Faith podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by authors and educators, Laura Berenger and Scott McKnight. You asked what would we do different? This is something that I kind of pushed, but I wasn't hard-nosed enough about it. But I didn't want to use positive stories with names attached because you never know it happened recently in the last several months i i did i got a private message that said hey this is kind of awkward but just so you know this person that you endorsed retweeted and you know this person was abusive this is amy fritz and you're listening to untangled faith a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. This episode is also sponsored by Faithful Counseling. Earlier this year, after putting it off for far too long, I started seeing a counselor, and it's made a huge difference for me. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with thousands of licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. There are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Laura Berenger and Scott McKnight were some of the first guests I had on the podcast, and I'm thrilled to welcome them back. Here's our conversation. Um, But I am delighted to have you back on the podcast, both of you. You were some of the first people that I was able to interview during my first season of my podcast. And so the fact that you are coming back uh, makes me feel confident (laughs) that maybe something good (laughs) is happening here. I I am thrilled to have you back. Um, And I've been wondering because you know, when I, I just, I think it was Chuck DeGroat that I just interviewed and he talked about how all your guys' books came out around the same time. It was just, we called it like an embarrassment of riches in that like end of the fall of uh, 2019, early 2020. It was like this whole library of books. And he said, it's sort of a sweet little fellowship of people that, um, have put work into the world, but it is now 2022. And some things have happened since you launched your book into the world. And so I am curious for both of you, especially as you're probably looking at other projects you're working on, as you look back on that, that book, a little book that could, um, you had no idea how it would resonate. How, like, what are your thoughts as you look back on it? What worked that you thought would and what has been different like have there been any surprises throughout this whole this whole journey and like is there anything you would have like put in the book that you didn't or that you wouldn't have put in the book at this point and as a human being I would imagine 
Every human that learns and grows looks back at work they've put out and says, I know something different about the world and myself than I knew then. So however you want to start, this is a really big question. So however you want to tackle that. I'll start with this. Those books did come out the same time. Rachel Denhollander, Wade Mullen, our book and Chuck DeGroat. I think Chuck's and Dr. Langberg. Oh yes. Yes. That's Mm -hmm. right. Diane's book. It was really confirming, I think, to Laura and me and to Chris to see all these books come out at once and to see them embrace the way they were. And uh, so that was that was really affirming and confirming and hopeful that we could be on a more redemptive path about these issues in churches. So, yeah, that's one thing. Yeah, it um, looking back on it. So I. I'm a teacher by trade. This yeah, is my so am I. So well, am I. <laughs> a well, I used to teacher for grade school. <laughs> well, what I'm trying to say is this is not my like area of comfort, or at least right. it the church ago. world hasn't really right. been your world as it's far not as this my, sort of world. Yeah. Right. It's not my expertise. It's not where I feel like I can confidently speak, or at least I couldn't a few years ago. Um, So I was surprised at the level of interest in the book. We wrote it out of our personal experience with Willow Creek is, is where it started, but the way that it resonated far beyond Willow Creek was really, was really surprising And at one point, I remember my dad and I said, how many interviews have we done for this book? And at the time it was over 150. It it was like interview. I was just, you know, I think it really, you want to talk to me again? Like I'm a teacher, you know, (laughs) but um, I'm a teacher too. (laughs) Shall we, shall we go back to who (laughs) coined the term wounded resistor? I love, I love the family rivalry. It's my favorite. (laughs) If you don't know from our past conversation, there's a long-running feud between Laura and Scott regarding who coined the term "wounded resistor." So it was it it surprised me how the breadth of the of how what how far it resonated, and we are still getting. I just got one today. We are still getting letters from people who have been wounded by churches. I sent it forward it to you, Dad. If you don't know, yeah, yeah I saw it. Um, that was about the meeting house in, in Canada, Buxy Cavey. So, you know, that's, that's been, I don't know. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't take letters like that lightly. It's been a privilege really to, for somebody to open up to us about the pain that they've been through. Yeah. I think one of the things you, know, you asked, what would we do different? Yeah. This is something that I kind of pushed but I wasn't hard-nosed enough about it. But I didn't want to use positive stories with names attached. I guess I would say I'm not afraid of giving someone some headlines for doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. But here we tell stories. It was a two-page story that Laura wrote up about our pastor. Mm. And our pastor has resigned. Um, because of credible allegations of power abuse and harassment, et cetera, uh, with all these witnesses. And 
that was really difficult. It was yeah. difficult because here, are, here we are writing this book. And I'm sitting here with these leaders in the church saying, I know all about this stuff. I just didn't think it was happening here. Yeah. And, and so at the theoretical level, it was something that I could talk about pretty easily. And yet here it was in our own church and we were watching, we were watching as this unfolded uh, at a ground level of what happens in a church when these allegations come forward. Yeah. And we're, you know, and we've heard stories. We usually hear from people who've been abused, power abuse, far more than sexual abuse. And we hear them say how they were silenced. Well, here we are in a church where we are watching this happen. And we are watching people uh, who, in our opinion, are profoundly, at times, insensitive to survivors. Mm. And how they talk, they don't think they're being insensitive. And they would say they're not intending to be insensitive, but they are. Yeah. And something that you can articulate as insensitive doesn't mean that you can actually live within that that paradigm. Mm. And so we watched all this. We have we're still watching it play itself out. And it's it causes incredible disruption to churches, to families, uh, to people's relationships. It's been nightmarish. Yeah. And you had used them as an example in your book, right? Of it was it was a it was a refuge. It was it was a great place for you to land at that time. And 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 so talk to me, both of you, about your decision to publicly address that. What was that like? Like what are those conversations like? What made you decide that you needed to say something? Well, that, that you're talking about what I said about your, apologizing the statement that you made and you yeah. put out. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really waiting for someone to criticize, uh, you know, for using our church as an example. Uh, but I knew that I needed to say something. I was just kind of sitting on it, wondering when, when's the best time to say something. What what should I say? Scott is referring to the statement he shared publicly regarding an investigation of a church that he had been attending. You can find a link to this in the show notes. Uh, We immediately went into action about editing the passages and Mm. Laura, Laura worked through that really well. So next editions of the book will have, will be revised. Which is another story, right? And um, so we immediately kicked into that. We had already kicked into some edits of, of stuff. I, I thought I just, because of my platform, I thought I got to say something. I'm just going to say, I'm sorry for this, how it impacts survivors Mm -hmm. to tell this story. And, you know, uh, Amy, I think what bothered me, and I don't think Laura and I have talked about this is I've said things about our former pastor in more than one book. And these things were going on in their in in these survivors' lives when I was saying these things, and mm. I knew utterly nothing about. It. I w- mm. I mean, we were all very surprised. Yeah, you know, it's it's been ten years, nine years, uh, probably, of affirming uh, the pastoral role of our former pastor, 
in realizing that there were people who were hearing that in very difficult ways. I got the most hateful letter mm. I have ever seen in my life. So hateful that it was, it couldn't even be taken seriously. Oh. But by someone whose, whose wife had been, he perceived to be, and this man hated our former pastor mm. and he expressed it. He, I became his scapegoat and that, that was okay. I didn't have to respond to him. But um, it's made me very aware that we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Yeah. Laura, did you get, did you get like notes like that too? Every once in a while, somebody says, Hey, this person that you platformed or that you posed with, or that posted a picture of your book. Mm -hmm. It happened recently in the last several months I, I did, I got a private message that said, Hey, this is kind of awkward, but just so you know, this person that you endorsed, what I shouldn't say endorsed. I just, you know, said something about retweeted, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this person was abusive. The, the church called Tove passage that my dad posted an apology for that one weighed kind of heavily on me because I've come to understand how difficult it is for survivors to hear about their abuser being platformed mm -hmm. and, and praised sort of the way that we did in a church called Tove. And I just, I thought, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't know the names of the survivors, but how painful it must have been for them to read what we wrote and know what was going on at the same time. So mm. that way, that weighed heavily is we, we just felt really bad about that. Uh, in our church context and this, Amy, this is something that's really big. It's unsafe to come forward. Yeah. It is profoundly unsafe to come forward and there needs to be a mechanism that is entirely safe for people to come forward for things to be heard. But even then, let's just say, that you experienced, that I experienced um, someone who came into our house and was verbally abusive to our children for 30 minutes. Mm. Okay. Now, if you go forward and tell that story in an anonymous framework, and it goes back to the person who was abusive, they're going to know who reported. Yeah. So even anonymity is not total anonymity unless, I mean, I just can't believe there's any situation it's total anonymity but it can be anonymous to all but the abuser yeah and the and those right. the abuser tells and, and i think and, it's such a great reminder that abuse only works because they're not like that with everyone and all the time right totally true and i'm going to have a conversation in 40 minutes okay with with someone who is going to be telling me that very story yeah, it is. is and that, so this is not man, what happened to me. This yeah. is this is this is the conversation I think that a lot of people that care about those who've been hurt in churches are grappling with right now. Hearing reports of people that, you know, we don't know one way or the other, but like they have been somebody's been hurt by somebody that we benefited from. Mm -hmm. And if we've already experienced that sort of pain ourselves, it feels especially like I don't want to be the person that does that. Like I heard that yeah. from you, Laura, just now. Like I know, like when you see somebody being so 
so abusive. And then somehow you end up inadvertently hurting somebody by somehow boosting somebody's voice. And yeah, it's very different to retweet somebody or quote somebody than it is to like put them in a book. So that, that brings me to a question I do have for you guys. Like, do you have some sort of, and maybe this would be a new thing you're thinking through of process you go through to uh, validate information that comes to you. Not that you would initially like completely believe or completely disbelieve anybody, but particularly when you know you have some sort of power and influence with book contracts and relationships with people in the, in the industry, how do you handle all of that? Like who's the good guys and knowing that there is a lot of complicated things going on, (laughs) people can do a lot of good things and also really make some dumb choices. And the fact that it rarely seems to be a really cut and dry sexual abuse thing or financial, you know, embezzlement. It is like abuse of power, bullying, uh, you know, just being generally unhealthy. How do you process that? And do you have a way to like safeguard yourselves and make sure you're not being co-opted as somebody using you as sort of their, their seal of like, I'm a, I'm a Tove person because I hung out with Laura, but I hung out with Scott. You know, I hope it's okay to say this, dad, maybe she can cut it out if I shouldn't say this, but something that I have come to trust is a voice like Wade Mullen and Wade Mullen, for example, did the investigation. You saw my dad post part of the conclusions. So when a, when a voice like that interviews I don't remember how many people were interviewed for the report. It was over 25. 15. But, but there were, he interviewed more than just that. But at any rate, a large group, and you have a trusted voice doing all these interviews and investigating and is a person of integrity from those who know him. He's trusted by victims. Okay. So when you have a person like that doing the investigation and putting out the report, I trust what he says. Now, this is the part that you might have to cut out. I have been floored watching the people at this church angry at the, at the reporter and Mm -hmm. angry at the investigator and angry at the report. That is, that is a new one for me. I've, I've been watching these closely over the year, you know, the, the years since the Willow story unfolded and I have yet to see like a movement within a congregation of people angry at the investigator and the report. They wanted it to say, you know, more positive things about the pastor because this, this report doesn't tell his whole story. You know, I, I, I've been floored by that. I thought Wade is a respected voice. I think we should be able to trust what he says. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, you experienced this in part at Willow Creek is that there were a lot of people mad at at the reporters. Well, no they're one. always mad. The people are always angry, yeah. but getting angry at the investigator and the report, that was a new one for me. Yeah. Well, I think it, had you been at Willow when that investigation did take place later, the independent investigation, 
I think you, I think you would have seen some people mad about the investigation, Mm -hmm. but all right, here, here's the thing. We'll be right back after a quick break. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about the Untangled Faith Patreon community. The Patreon community is the primary way this podcast is funded. As a thank you for their support, my patrons receive access to bonus audio that doesn't get shared with the public. And the bonus audio that I've shared over the past year is all there. In June, while I was taking some time off, I recorded some short episodes just for my patrons. I talked about why it's hard to see the truth, safe listeners, and lazy geniusing this season of your faith. You could access all of this by going to patreon.com slash untangled faith and signing up today. That's patreon.com slash untangled faith. Now back to the show. Wade Wade's reports are pretty, I think they're pretty easy to read and pretty easy to make judgments about. But the issue is when one person comes to us and tells us a story, what do we do? Yeah. I mean, we get, we get these, I'm, we're not getting this many, but Laura got one today and it's come to me as well. All right. Here, here's one thing. If it, if it's sexual abuse in any shape or form harassment and a woman is reporting to me, I think the chances are 95% that mm-hmm. the person's telling the truth somewhere over 90%. Um, and one of my students, a friend now, Becky Miller, uh, spent her uh, spent some time in library in Europe investigating this, and she said it's between ninety one and ninety six percent. But she said when you add in the number of people who actually change their story in order to protect themselves, it's probably close to ninety eight percent. That's that's her story. I think okay, wow, All right? Yeah. I, but it's it's above ninety percent. So that's one thing I would consider. The second thing is instinct kicks in. You listen to a report, and you go. Is this credible or not? I've seen a couple reports, people, and some of them have come my way, but most of them I've seen online. I go, nah, that didn't happen. I don't think. I have big questions about the way this person is telling a story. So there's an instinct that's going to kick in. The third thing I would say is Chris and I, and probably Laura, we I don't think we've talked about this so much. We're going to take the side of survivors when they report. That's just, I'm going to listen. And I'm going to try to help that person. If we find out that this person's a liar, then I'll say that this person's a liar. But I'm not going to say this person's a liar because the deacon board investigated the pastor. It's going to have to be an independent investigation before I'm going to say this person is a liar. And then I'm going to, and I have done this as many times as I felt needed to, I'm going to check this person's story as much as I can without making this person who has trusted me with their story feel like I don't believe them. Yeah. In other words, we got a report recently and I checked with three different people who all said that she had told this story to them six months or a year ago. So this wasn't a recent report. I pretty much believed her. I didn't know if all the details were going to add up. Now, Amy, there's another issue here. Okay. Power abuse is, and spiritual abuse are very difficult things to quantify. Yes. I think this is the conversation that's happening. Okay. Let's just start with Chuck DeGroat. Chuck DeGroat says, everybody who becomes a pastor is on the spectrum of narcissism. 
narcissists are on the spectrum of power abuse. That's all there is to it. They lack empathy. Right. So we have to start with the pot, the, the reality that a lot of people are going to abuse their power. And it's not big church, small church. It's anybody with power. Small businessmen can be full of ego. So I would say that. The second thing is, I would, on power abuse and spiritual abuse, I would look for patterns with more than one person mm -hmm. as much as possible. There's always receipts in a trail on these stories. If one person comes forward against one other person, you have a very difficult situation. And, and our family is going to lean toward listening to the survivor and trusting them. We yeah. could be wrong, but that's, that's sort of our mission is to help such persons. All right. That's what the Bible says to do in Deuteronomy. The woman was believed. And yeah. can I just go back to where we started? I yeah. feel like if, you know, of course there's, there's individual situations where you really have to use discernment, but I also think wisdom tells us that if, if somebody, if an expert that is trusted by survivors is saying power abuse happened, I think we need to listen and give value to what that person example, Wade Mullen is saying. Yeah. Cause he's not being, he's not getting paid based on what he finds. He's getting paid to just do the work. That's right. And he could make everybody mad in the end <laughs> yeah. and, yeah, you know, that. not, yeah. not be indebted to anybody, but like, this is the process and this yeah. is how I do it. This is the objective part of it. This is what people said. This is what I observed. And I can see, I think it's interesting that you said people were upset, Laura, because from what I've seen with the way Wade approaches things, he's not a dramatic person. He, well, you would have loved, you would have loved, he is, he is so calm. You'd go, yeah. Wow. He airs on the side of caution. You know, even when I, I just had him listen to some audio for me, but he, it's not, he's not going to be like, this is the smoking gun. Like he's going to say, here's some patterns I observe. Here's what people right. in similar situations I have seen react when they're faced with some sort of threat. And I'm also seeing a similar thing happen here. So it, the odds are this could be happening. And so like that, that sort of thing sometimes makes people upset too, because they really want to cut and dry. But then, you know, when he, when Wade's being hired to do like a cultural analysis or an investigation, he is going to say, given all of this, here are some recommendations, well, but it's not going to be a big drama. This person is a hundred percent evil in very many cases. I, I, when I met, when I met him and talked with him a couple of times, I thought, this is a scientist. Yeah. This is a guy who is going to weigh the evidence. And when he's done, he may conclude that the evidence is inconclusive. Yeah. That's the way I felt about it. And yeah. uh, we didn't talk about, the, I mean, basically he just said, I hope, I hope the report um, uh, convinces people of whatever the conclusion is. That, that's all he had to say to me. So I met him and I thought this guy, belongs in a science in a in a science lab <laughs> analyzing evidence yeah and making those kinds of cautious judgments that you hear from really good scientists that's the way i felt about him he wasn't yeah. and, and the word he's not dramatic mm -hmm. however after meeting him 
I was quite surprised how good of a speaker he was. Because yes. people like that don't always tend to be really good speakers. He, he has a good. scientist brain, but he can yeah. connect as yeah. a lay person. He doesn't yeah. sound he doesn't sound like he has PhD disease. You've seen yeah. it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I live in that world. <laughs> the PhD disease. Yeah. And I think I, I kind of felt you you all going there with this conversation in that we really do need more of these sort of we're nearly not able to say a denomination is going to hold himself accountable either. The only reason our stories in our church came forward is because our Bishop Todd Hunter created a whistleblower policy that protected the anonymity of the reporters at a specific level. Uh, Now, uh, once these stories are told to the accused, they're going to all, almost always know who it is and they can start talking. I think we need a place where people can go to make a report and see if that can generate genuine interest, you know, and you have to avoid the petty, Yeah. you know, uh, and you have to avoid the, the leaders are okay. I, I often say this: leaders are going to make decisions that not everybody likes. Yeah, that's not spiritual abuse necessarily. You know. Yeah. You weren't a very good teacher in that classroom, and we look at the student reports, and this is it for you. You know, you're you yeah. need to do the something. The evaluations else. came in. You're yes. not abusive. Yeah, you're but, just but, not a teacher. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so the, those that's not power abuse. Now, it could be it could be that it was not handled properly. And those of us who have positions of power have made decisions like this. At times you think, oh, 20 years ago, I wish I had or 30 years ago. I wish I had uh, known what I know now about how yeah. to deal with this. But power abuse is is another level. But, and I am so grateful for Lisa Oakley. And Justin Humphrey's book, I can't remember the name. It's of it. Escaping the Maze of Spiritual Escape. Abuse. It's so right. good. And That's it was printed in the UK. Sticks. A lot yes. of people haven't seen it. It is yeah. really, really good. Yeah. So, Laura, Scott, are you, like, do you feel any burning in you to start some sort of organization or like be a part of like starting a place like that where people could, I don't know, any thoughts on that? No, but (laughs) my dad dad and I have said, you've said dad, like you could just spend all of your time from now until you retire doing Tove related work. He gets that many inquiries and that many questions through Northern university through, you know, speaking requests. And if we started going from church to church, doing this, it could be, it could be a full-time job. And we have, okay. um, We, we have another book at the publisher called Tove Unleashed, which is helping churches for what are the practices, the seven practices that churches need to practice to help shape a church from toxic culture to Tove culture. So we, we still are involved. We're still uh, on the field playing the game. We haven't retired. You know, that means you're still going to keep getting messages, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, yes. It's and, like the uh, it's like the warning given to people like if you write that marriage book, you know people are going to talk to you about their marriages, uh, right? <laughs> I was once asked to write a book on on demon possession. And I wrote a I wrote an article about it. Uh, in in an old magazine called Moody Monthly. And I started getting the weirdest letters and I had signed a contract and I sent it back. I said, I'm not writing this book. I don't want to spend, spend my life doing it, <laughs> handling. I got letters with funny symbols on it. It was really weird. Oh my goodness. I didn't know that. But the other thing is our seminary has a lecture every fall called the Tove Lectures. And so our we're, we're doing, uh, connected to Lynn Coick and the uh, women's, whatever it's called. It's a women's center for women in leadership. Yeah. That center uh, sponsors a lecture on this. So we're, we're doing that. Um, I think I'm, I'm at the age where I, I'm not sure I want to be involved in starting like, um, an organization, uh, to do this sort of thing. I would like to be involved in one that started this. Um, but, You'd be willing I, to be I on the also, board or support it financially? Well, not, I, don't, I don't want to be on any board. I don't want to go to any committee meeting. <laughs> he doesn't like meetings. I'll okay, go. No meetings. I'll go. <laughs> you, write a, you write a check now and then? <laughs> here's, the, here's the problem. I would like to be involved in that, but it's going to have to operate around the categories of TOEF, so I would have to direct it. And that's where, hard to, It's hard to yeah, I don't want to just have a – I don't want to just have a – an organization that looks into power abuse. I mean, that, that could go anywhere. Yeah, well, you want to go. Yeah. So this is what we want to be about. We want to, we want to be more than just against something you're for, yeah. you're fighting for goodness. Yeah. It's not just being about looking at the dark. What keeps you motivated and correct me if I'm wrong is fighting for and finding those pockets of toes. The yeah. circle of Tove. We're hoping that our next book offers a hopeful journey for churches. We keep the the question that we most often get asked is, well, how do we make a toxic church or a church that has these pockets of toxicity? How do we make it tove? And they also want to know what are the red flags? So we wrote the next book with hopefully some concrete ways that churches can re, can assess themselves and um, help themselves become more healthy with goals of being cultures of goodness. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a really hard question. I don't know who wants to answer this. How do you find an endorser for these sorts of books when you don't know if they are co-opting you for legitimacy and may not be tove? Okay, we'll, we'll pick Diane Langberg and Wade Mullen. Wade Mullen. <laughs> Those are the only ones. <laughs> My dad said he's not writing any more stories about living people. They have to be dead. They have to be dead or one foot in the grave. Or, or, the, or their, their names aren't used. Yeah, their names. well, here, such an interesting story, right? Like the way of the lion or the way, you know, the way of the dragon or the way of the lamb with Jamin Gogan and Kyle Strobel. And they had used all these examples of people that had chosen the way of the lamb instead of the way of the dragon. And they'd just come off of this conference, even about this on a high. And, and all of a sudden their phones are blowing up that, you know, one of the heroes they put in there, Jean Vinay, 
was yeah, well, he was very abusive too. and they pulled their books. The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb was the first book I read that helped open my eyes to some of the problems in our churches and faith organizations. The authors made the difficult decision to pull that book and rewrite it when they discovered that one of the faith heroes they had lauded was a serial abuser. They pulled I did not know they their pulled books. That book. Oh, I have a copy. I didn't know. Oh, you first of all get the whatever they have a new new edition out. I highly recommend it. It like was life-changing for me. But even talking to them, I think it would be really fascinating to talk to somebody that had to go back to their book. Because you understand this world and say, hey, publisher, I-, I know it sold. I know it's still selling. We need to pull it. And I want to rewrite some. That took a lot. And then to reevaluate the whole thing. So Kyle Strobel well, that was, uh, and yeah, I Jamin know Kyle. Goggin. I mean, they, were, they were really young when they wrote this book. It's a really difficult thing. I, mean, I think yeah. at one level you can say, look, we don't think these people are perfect. Yeah. Um, and they may, you know, and someone may have some dirt that they can uncover. One, one of the people that we used who criticized another pastor who, who when a pastor was being exposed as prolifically uh, abusive, uh, someone who criticized this pastor, we find out was also abusive as well. And, and we've, we've changed, we've changed some of that story in the book. So I've learned from this. I like the concreteness of real stories. Uh, I don't see it as making people heroes at all. Laura wants to make Cunningham a hero. He is. He's my hero. Yeah. Cunningham. Okay. He's my hero again. He did it again. Laura wants to make him a hero. All right. And and he seems to be a really tove guy, so I I, I grant that. But um, I like that concreteness because it shows a reality that we need. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think we should use names. I think that names need to be eliminated, and um, because of the experience of survivors under this, I was speaking at a church recently, and at the restored conference, a couple comes up to me. And tells me, we were there. We want to tell you some stories of what's going on in that church. Mm. And I thought this guy was a really, really good pastor. And he probably is a pretty good pastor. You know, I'm not, I, I don't demonize the people that we tell these stories about unless it's someone like Ravi, whose stories were so severe. Yeah. And so deep, deeply ingrained. And likely worse than we even know. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it was. So, uh, but I mean, a pastor who can get a little carried away with some power abuse is probably not that rare. And we want those kinds of people to be redeemed and to become more tove in their use of power. But someone who persistently abuses, then we want to know. And Amy, you know this too. It's really hard to speak up. Yeah. they don't speak up until they hear their names and the, they see their names in the neon lights. You know, if there's a capital of the evangelical industrial complex, that's middle Tennessee, <laughs> Franklin, Tennessee. Brentwood, oh, Tennessee. Laura would tell you it's Wheaton. It's, it's crazy. The number of things that are right there. And 
there is so much power and so much pressure and so much, you know, having each other's back that is really, it can be really, really a hard, hard place to yeah. speak up about something. I think I, I don't know if I told you all this, but, um, we, you know, our experiences with Ramsey solutions and, um, yeah. another couple that walk, walk through this situation with us went and went to their pastor, pastor of a church here and said, Hey, this is happening to us. Will you go with us to talk to Dave? And the pastor said, no, Dave's my friend. Loyalty yep. family. I don't know if they've been back to church. That was 2019. I've just been asked by a publisher to write a book on scandalized by the church. Because mm. of that blog post I did. I really just saw you mind. tease out that idea in your yeah. Substack. Are you going like, to do it? I have to have all these stories. Well, have to I like the idea, though, that we're scandalized not by what is really God's kingdom. Yeah. Right? It is the subversion of it. That but you know, is. this was this was a part of uh, the emerging movement. Mm. The emerging stuff was all about this. Forget the church. We want to just follow Jesus. The nuns are a lot like this. So it's it's not something brand new, but the term scandalized kind of gives it a different a slightly different twist. So yeah. I gotta think about it, but I'm I'm not really I got a lot of things I'm writing right now, and I'm not really <laughs> into writing something. Well, we can come back to that. I'll put it on the calendar. (laughs) After you start the nonprofit. (laughs) I'm going to ask everyone that comes on this podcast if they're going to start this. But no meetings. No meetings. (laughs) No meetings. No politics. 15 minutes for a meeting. Okay. Um, (laughs) I want to ask you, I want to ask you what has been just something that has brought you joy in this process, maybe even in the last year or so. Sure. Laura got invited to San Diego. Well, I would have to say, I mean, that was a nice byproduct, but I would have to say just the surprise of, I feel like being used by God in a way that I never expected that has brought me joy. It always brings me joy to be able to connect with a survivor. There's so much anger towards them. And I see that on social media. And then just to have one of them write me privately and say, thank you for, for what you've said. I feel like nobody understands, um, how they've hurt me by what they've said. Um, it brings me joy. I don't want to, I don't know if joy is the right word, but just like, I feel humbled that God would use me in that way, in a way that I didn't expect. Because like I said, after all, I'm trained as an educator. This is not my yeah. I'm a teacher too. <laughs> I said educator. You're gonna, yeah. So that energizes you. Yeah. Those interactions. Yeah. Makes it worth it for you because you're able to affirm yeah. them. Is that it has right? been, it has been very life-giving. I was invited to a Christian leaders school conference, and that was really exciting. Um, And we have another conference coming up in August where like um, merging the field of education with Tove, like now Christian school leaders want to know, well, how can we be sure that our schools are 
our healthy cultures. And that that's very life-giving and exciting for me. I like that. All right, Scott, you get the last word. Well, I think uh, for me, um, it's fulfilling to contribute to the church in this way. It is, it can be negative. You know, we've given people a list of, of ways of just putting into words, their experiences in churches that are negative, but we've also given them a redemptive way forward. And so it's fulfilling to, uh, to do something that is very much at the grassroots level of what people are experiencing in churches. And I think, I think we've given people a, a word, tov, that they like. And it's been yeah. life-giving to have that word tov used over and over and over. Yeah, something Despite to hang on to. publisher not wanting that word. <laughs> Good job on that one. Good job. <laughs> KJ Ramsey was saying she did a similar thing. Like she sort of workshopped some idea and she was like, well, I already like, talk to all these people that read my newsletter and they love this idea. It, it's hard to argue with that. It's hard for the editors. <laughs> to argue with that. I know you got to go, but I want to say, okay. say hi to Chris. Yes, I'm I will. S- I'm sorry that she got hurt. I hope she's yeah, like she's recovers. Quickly. Doing really well. Didn't even have to have ibuprofen today. Wow. She had surgery. Okay. It was so, I think it was yesterday. So it's amazing. <sighs> you so can't let her out really of your well. sight. No, well. <laughs> can't let her. Someday I'm going to interview her. I bet she has all the dirt for me. Thank (laughs) Thank you you guys. I appreciate your time so much and your wisdom and all that you have invested in the church. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. I'll talk to you later, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast. I'd love to keep the conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook and Faith Untangled on Twitter. For more information about supporting the show, check out patreon.com slash untangledfaith. You can find the show notes at untangledfaithpodcast.com. The Untangled Faith Podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. A special thanks to my Patreon supporters. This podcast is made possible by support from patrons and the Fritz family budget. Special thanks to producer Michelle Pionic. I feel like the luckiest that I get to do this. Introducing you to people and resources is one of my favorite things to do. Thanks for showing up. I'll see you next week.